Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'd like for you to join with me, and I would like for us to pray uh, that God would just come down in a very special way and, and, and just we need some divine intervention in what's going on in the Ukraine. And we have brothers and sisters who are there. And, and it's, not just, it's not just there. There are, there are Christians all around the world that are, that are facing difficulty and hardship. But that has been on the front burner. We've all seen it. We've all heard about it. Would you join with me right now? And let's just pray and ask God for his help. Lord, we come to you right now in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would reach out. I pray, God, that you would hear, that you would touch every person who's running, every person who's broken, every person who's been wounded, every person who is grieving every person who feels alone and abandoned. I pray that they would come to know you as the God who is the ever-present one, the one who is an ever-present help in a time of need. I pray, Lord, that, that that this would be a spark that would turn that nation and many others to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would cause all war to come to an end. And I thank you, Lord, for hearing our cry, for hearing our prayer today in Jesus precious name Lord thank you for your anointing on every person who's in this room today I pray that you would give them ears to hear and a heart to receive and Lord I ask for your help today help me to deliver your word the things you've put in my heart to share with these people today we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus name and everybody said amen 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 you may be seated so we're talking about relationships and let me just say to you Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's so very, very important as believers, you need to understand that when you come to Jesus, it should make a difference in the practical areas of your life. When you come to Jesus, it should make you a better spouse. All right, I'm going to just let you think about it a minute. See if you agree with it, okay? Now let me run it by you again. When you come to Jesus, it should make you a better spouse. It should make you a better husband. Should make you a better wife. Should make you a better parent, a better employer, a better employee. It should affect all of the practical areas of your life. It should make a big difference. And if you're not sure if it has or not, just look at your spouse real quick. You don't even have to say anything. Just look and they'll nod their head. They'll let you know. And I just want you to know that if that is not working out the way you would like for it to work out, the way it should work out, these small groups will help you. It will help you to talk to somebody who's walked a little ahead of you and, and you can talk to them and say, hey, tell me, how does this work? How, how can I get in the groove where I know God wants me to be? So we're talking about talking about marriage today, talking about relationships. And I just, uh, I ran across a couple of things I thought I'd start with. Um, this, is, this is the world's perspective, but it's still funny because we're all human, right? And, uh, and it's, it's part of our human nature. Marriage is like a pack of playing cards. They say marriage starts out like a deck of cards. You start out with two hearts and a diamond and you end up with a club and a spade. <laughs> marriage is a relationship in which one person is always right and the other one is usually the husband now this next this next one is a little story it's written in the first person and i'm going to read it that way but this did not happen to me okay i just want to clarify i did not do this when our lawnmower broke and wouldn't run my wife kept hinting to me that i should get it fixed Somehow I always had something else to take care of first. The truck, the car, answering an email, fishing. Something was always more important to me. Finally, my wife thought of a clever way to make her point. When I arrived home one day, I found her seated in the tall grass, busily snipping away with a tiny pair of sewing scissors. I watched silently for a few minutes. And then I went into the house. I was only gone for a little while. When I came back out again, I handed her a toothbrush. 
When you finish cutting the grass, I said, you might as well sweep the driveway. (laughs) The doctors say, I will walk again. (laughs) I'll always have a limp, but I will walk again. So uh, years ago, I was just, you know, living my best life. And I started, I started having some pains in, in places where I hadn't normally had pains. And, and uh, a couple of people had recommended, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should go see a chiropractor. And uh, I began to look and see, you know, what exactly it is that chiropractors do. And I basically came to the understanding that chiropractors are the guys that grab hold of you and twist you in ways that you probably could never twist yourself in order to adjust the joints and adjust your spine and adjust other joints in your body so that, so that your body can function well and you don't have the pains, you know, your arms and shoulders work good and your back and your hips and your legs and everything. And I just, uh, that's what I want to do today. I, I want to bring an adjustment because ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world, we are surrounded, we're bombarded by the value system of, of a world that has rebelled against God. It's in the music, it's in the media, it's on your phone, it's in, it's in you know, every, it's, it's all around us and we need regular adjustments where we come back. Oh, that's, yes, that's what God's word says. Yes, that's what it means. And, and that's what I want to do today. I want to give us an adjustment and bring us back to what God's word has to say about marriage and how it works. Because the world has an idea about what marriage is and they have an idea about what makes marriage work. And how many of you know, it's pretty much a disaster. Yeah, it pretty much just does not work. And so we want to come back to God's word. So what I'd like to do is start where all marriages start. I'd like to start with singleness. And I'd like to talk to you. I'm, everything I say today is going to be based in Genesis chapter 2. A few verses from 15 to 18 in the verse 24 and 25. So if you have a Bible, you want to look at it with me while we, while we go through this, you can do that. So let me begin in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. I'm going to read down to verse 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Now you remember God had fashioned Adam, created him out of the dust of the earth, formed him, shaped him. Uh, Genesis 1 says, God, God said, let us make man in our image. And the Lord shaped and fashioned Adam and then breathed into him the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. Okay. So Adam became a living soul. And then The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden uh, to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So everyone, everyone, you know, has a mental picture of, of what that looks like. Adam in the garden, God put him there and, uh, and he's all alone. And, and if we just kind of read through that quickly, we think, well, you know, Adam, Adam, he's just there and he's got, he's got, he didn't, and the brother doesn't even have a t-shirt. I mean, he's got nothing. He's just there in the garden all alone. But a more careful reading will show us that Adam actually had some very significant things there in the garden, things that God gave him. And I want to just point them out to you. Adam had, number one, he had the presence of God. He had the presence of God before he had a wife. And every man needs to understand that no woman is able to satisfy your deepest needs or desires. Only the presence of God can do that. And that's why some men go from woman to woman to woman to relationship to relationship because they've never found the Savior who can fill their soul, fill their heart. And that's not gender specific, that's for all of us. But Adam had the presence of God. Man's first need is not for a woman, it is for the presence of God. The very next thing, the very next thing, we see it here in verse 15. uh, The Lord took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work, to work. Uh, Here again, Adam's got a job before he's got a wife. That's, that's really good preaching. That's really, really good preaching. And so, uh, so once again, we see that he had, he, had, he had work, he had a job, 
And, and God goes into detail what that job is. In some of the other translations, it uses this word, and I love it. It's the word cultivate. He put him in the garden, not just to, not just to work the garden, but to cultivate the garden. To cultivate. And I, I, I wanted to be sure that I understood that word, so I looked it up. And I found that the meaning of that word is this. It means to bring out the best of everything around you. It means to maximize. It means to bring to its fullest, highest potential to make everything around you fruitful. And this is what Adam was busy doing. God had given him a job and Adam is busy. He he is making everything. He's bringing everything to its highest potential. He is cultivating there in the garden. The, The Bible also says that God put him there to cultivate and to keep it. And that word keep has the implication of to guard. He's to protect it. And Adam was placed in the garden to protect the garden, to keep it, to protect it. When God created man, God created, created man with a stronger bone frame, with a bigger muscle mass. Not so he could abuse the woman, but so he could protect the woman. And so, so the final thing that we see, the fifth thing that we see that he had, he had the word of God. God commanded him. Adam, you can eat everything in the garden except for the fruit of this one tree. Do not eat the fruit of that one tree because if you do in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So this is what Adam had when he was in the garden. And you know, it's really, it's really amazing when you look at this. This is a picture of successful singleness. Adam wasn't going around saying, oh, I just need somebody to make me feel valued. I just need somebody who will make me feel loved. I just need somebody who... He, Adam, was, Adam, Adam was in a place of fullness, not a place of emptiness. And before you ever think about getting married, before you don't bring a bunch of emptiness into a marriage. Bring a bunch of overflowing fullness into a marriage. Now, if one person brings some emptiness into it, that, that, that can be difficult. But if two people bring emptiness into a marriage... That's a recipe for disaster. That's a, that's a mighty long ultra marathon you're about to start running. And so it's important that you're coming into marriage from a place of fullness. Here's Adam. He, 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 is, he is full. He's not empty. He's busy and productive. He's not lacking. He's not needy. He's got a vision. He's focused on it. He's pursuing it. And you got to see this. Adam didn't even know he needed a wife. That's how busy he is. I don't think it'd be wrong to say maybe the best time to to get married is when you don't think you need to get married. You understand that? That's that's maybe the best time to get married. It it wasn't Adam who said, God, I need, I need, I need somebody. No, Adam's busy. Adam's fulfilled. Adam's having the time of his life. He's naming animals. He's eating fruit. He's just having a time. And God looks at him. And God is the one who says, this isn't isn't as good as it could be. This could be better. This This is not good. Now, this is, this is really interesting. It, it is in verse 18. We read 15, 16, 17. And when we get to verse 18, it's in verse 18 that this, is, this just blew my mind. Because this verse starts with this word, then. Then. That's a transition word. That, that's a word that says there was something here, but we're going there. Then, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to move from that to this. It, 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 it implies movement, it implies growth, it implies, you know, we're, we're making a transition here. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. Now, I, I want you to know this then opens up a whole lot of stuff. And we don't have time to dig to the bottom of this, of this little gem mine right here. But let me just say this to you that there is an order in the kingdom of God. There's an order to things in God's kingdom. There is an order to things. We need to understand that and grasp that. And we need to find that when we read through the Bible because it'll just make everything better if we understand that God has an order. God is a designer. God is a builder. God is an architect. And God has an order to things. And if we will find God's order, things will, will be better because when things are out of order, they don't work. Okay, when something is out of order, it does not work. 
And that's why some things are not working in some homes, in some marriages, in some families, because things are just out of order according to God's plan of order. And so when we come back to God's plan and God's order, all of a sudden things begin to work. We've got to come. There is an order to things in the kingdom of God. That's why it's a bad idea to spend your money before you tithe. Oh, wait, I thought we were talking about marriage. We are. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about how to be fruitful and productive and have the best of God's blessing. It, 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 it's out of order for us just to act like that's all ours and, and God has nothing to, to do with it or nothing to say with it. That is why it is a bad idea to have sex before marriage because it's out of order. It's out of order and it does not work. Now he doesn't value you. Now he just, he objectifies you. There is an order to things. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. I I want you to know there are times when I come to God and I've got some needs, I've got some requests, I've got some desires. But how many of you understand when I tell you it always works a lot better if I come to God and say, Lord, before I tell you all the things I need, first, I just want to thank you for all that you have already done for me because you've been better to me than I deserve. You have blessed me over and above what I can even comprehend. Your loving kindness, your faithfulness, your goodness to me. You've crowned me, Lord, and I just want to thank you for your goodness and for your grace. God, I know there are people in this community that cannot breathe. Some of them are on breathing machines, but not me. And your word says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So I just want to take a minute, and I want to praise you for your goodness. I want to praise you and thank you for your loving kindness. I want to thank you for your unmerited favor and your mercy and your grace working in my life. There is an order to things. First, you clear the ground. Second, you put the kindling in place. Third, you stack the larger pieces of wood around it. Then, you light the match. You don't just walk through the woods throwing, you know, throwing lit matches everywhere. That will end up in a disaster. People get hurt. You don't do that. There is an order to things. So God took the man and put him in the garden. Verse 18, then, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Then, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. What man? What man? What, what man is he talking about? He's talking about this man. He's talking about this man right here who loves and enjoys the presence of God. This man who's working. He's cultivating you. He's bringing everything around him to his highest potential. He's, he's a protector, not an abuser. He knows and he loves the word of God. He's teaching the word of God. God said, it's not good for this man to be alone. He needs to spill over into somebody. And so God created Eve and brought her to the man. Now, before you just read that too quickly and just zip across it, you need to just read that again one more time, a little slower, and realize that if a man doesn't know, love, or even care about the presence of God, If he doesn't have a job, if he's not cultivating you, if he's not protecting you, and he doesn't even care about the word of God, then it's probably good for that man to be alone. You got it. You're a smart class. You are a smart, smart class. So just remember this. If you are in that stage of singleness, just remember this. It is far better to be single and to want to be married than to be married and wanting to be single. Just hear these words of wisdom. Now let me just say this. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage was not invented by a group of lawyers. Okay, it wasn't invented by Congress. It wasn't even invented by a caveman who wanted to figure out a way to keep his wife under his foot. No, marriage 
was created by God. It was designed by God. And God has not created anything for that, that was intended to hurt us, to harm us. God has established an order to marriage. And in our culture today, we see that, that marriage is not working. And it's not working because people are not following the design the way God created and designed it. When I was a junior in high school, I, I got one of, the, one of the best things that a teenage boy could ever get. I got, a, I got my very own motorcycle. I'd saved for it and I bought it. And I'll tell you the reason I bought it. I, I wasn't real sure when I was looking at the, at the bike. The kid had it. He started it up. And, and when I heard that sound, it was a Honda 350 Scrambler, for those of you who are my age. You know, had the pipes come up on the side, had a muffler there. Well, the muffler had, the pipes had rusted. The muff, I took the muffler off, and I found some of those little VW tailpipes that kind of did that, you know, and they fit right in there. And I cranked it up and it blew all the baffles out. And so, and it was loud and it was awesome. And I rode that thing. It was great. It was wonderful. And then it started smoking. And my, my dad and some other people told me, you need a ring job. And so uh, my dad said, you don't have the money to take it to the shop, do it yourself. And so uh, I, I, I started taking it apart and he'd tell me what to do. I'd never done anything like that before. And uh, got it all apart, got the new rings in, put it all back together. And I only had, I don't know, five or six leftover bolts. I had no idea where they came from. And I got on that bike and I had everything hooked up and gassed up. And I kicked it and kicked it and kicked it. I finally got it started and it ran, but it wasn't quite like it was before I had worked on it. And so, so I decided I need to do it again. And this time I'm going to get the, the plans from Honda for this motor and how how to do this, this job. And instead of just relying on people to tell me I'm, I'm going to do my best. And I found out that marriage and motorcycles have something in common. If you want them to start easily, if you want them to, if you want them to make all the right kind of sounds, if you want, if you want it to produce the thrill that it was intended to produce in marriage and motorcycles, you need to go back to the original plan the way the creator designed it and build it in that way. And then it will, it will be quite a ride, I promise you. It will be quite a ride. So, so stats tell us today that one half of marriages end in divorce here in America. And my question, my question is this, of the, of the half that stay together, how many of them are happy? Uh, my guess would be it's probably less than half. And, and I just want you to know, folks, that is not God's plan. The, 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 standard, the standard procedure for marriage today would be something like this. Young couple fall in love, they get married, uh, they have a great honeymoon, you know, the first four weeks, eight weeks are real good, then they have a big fight. And this is just all hypothetical here, okay, but they have a big fight, they go to work, and one of them will say to a friend or a co-worker, oh man, we had the biggest fight, oh man, I, I just, I never thought she would provoke me like that, I never thought he would react like that, it was just, and it would not be uncommon for a co-worker or friend to respond like this, oh well, the honeymoon's over. And what they're saying is, in the Four or eight short weeks that you've been, been married, you have already reached the pinnacle of all that marriage was intended to be. And now you might as well sit back, fasten your seatbelt, and prepare to be miserable for the next 60 years, just like the rest of us. How many of you know that is not God's plan? That is not, it is God's plan for your love to grow and become stronger and your marriage to grow and become, become deeper and stronger and more satisfying and more fulfilling all the days of your life. God created marriage to be good. He created marriage to be the safest, most secure environment for people to be vulnerable with one another in order to love and be loved. That is how God created marriage. And so I want to talk to you if from, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. I want to talk to you about four laws. These are laws that God has created that govern love and marriage. In the same way that God has given us laws like the law of gravity and things like that, God has given us laws. And if we know what the laws are about love and marriage, we take all the chance, all the luck, out of marriage. Sometimes people see a couple and they look real happy and, and they say, man, they really, they really lucked out. Boy, they, they really, boy, you know, they, when you obey God's word, when two people will obey God's word with all their heart, then 
it's, it's not a matter of chance. It's not a matter of luck. There is a 100% guarantee. A 100% guarantee that your marriage will be what God intends for it to be. It will be strong and loving and, and amazing. So Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So I want to talk to you about the law of priority. Here's the first law, and it's found here in chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. So I'm presupposing, and, and as, I, as I talk about this, I need for you to understand, I'm presupposing that everyone here has a, a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate Uh, our ultimate relationship. It is our relationship with the Lord. But the next most important decision you will ever make in your life, as you know, the first is whether you're going to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, and the second is who you marry. Seven billion people on the planet. And you get to choose. You get to choose. Surely there's someone just for you. Seven billion people on the planet. And so... So this law of priority is super, super important. Marriage is to be the human. It is to be the priority relationship in our, in our human interaction. It is, there should be no other relationship with people uh, in our life that is more important than our marriage relationship. That means that your marriage relationship, listen to me carefully now, Because this is God's order. Your marriage relationship should be higher than any other relationship in your life. Now, a lot of times when people get married, if they don't know what God's word says about it, they add a person to their life. They just add a person to their life and we treat them nice and, you know, as good as as reasonably can be expected, you know, for as long as, as we think is reasonable, but we just add another person. And the implication of scripture is not that we add another person to our life, but it's that we reprioritize our life. I reprioritize everything in my life and this relationship, this human relationship becomes the priority human relationship in my life. It means that your marriage relationship is more important than your relationship to your parents. Thank you for that amen. It was lonely. It was, it was a lonely amen. But it is the truth. It's more important than your relationship with your mama and with your daddy. It's more important than, than uh, your relationship with your siblings or with your grandparents or your in-laws or your children. Thank you for that amen. More important than your friends, your hobbies, or your work. Well, I thought, you know, I got to work, got to pay the bills. I'll tell you what, I'm, I just heard one of the, just an amazing testimony this morning from a dear friend of mine who shared with me how God opened a door for him to be able to work a job where he will be home every night. And he is so excited. And the Lord just blessed him with an amazing confirmation. A guy just, just came up to him on the street and said, can I just share something with you? And just had a word from God. It was a complete confirmation. The job he was leaving was great, and they did everything they could to keep him there, and he was taking a huge cut in pay because he felt like his marriage and his family was more important than more money. So marriage is the number one, the number one uh, priority human relationship. In our lives, and, and here's another way to say it: we we understand that there are times when we gotta, you know, it's all hands on deck for a project at work or whatever, and and there are seasons that we go through. But let me let me say it like this: if anyone ever feels like they're getting, uh, if anyone ever feels like they are not getting the best of you, it should never be your spouse. Let every let everybody else suffer. It should not be your spouse. Your spouse should feel like, I'm getting the best of what you got. I'm getting your time, your attention, your energy. I'm getting your love. So underneath that heading of priority, priority that my, my marriage is the priority relationship in my life, let me just give you a, 
uh, just one or two subheadings that are very, very important. And this one I put at the top because I think it is the most important and is the priority of communication. It means that you talk. Without communication, there is no relationship. And we have got to learn how to talk. And it's amazing to me that people are so in love when they get married and they talk all the time. They can finish each other's sentences and they know everything. But every couple that's ever got in trouble got in trouble right here. They got to a place where they couldn't even talk. They got to a place where they couldn't even talk. And so it's important that we talk. And when, when I say talk, I'm not talking about the groove that married people get into where you wake up and you just roll over and say, hey, good morning. How was your night? Did you sleep good? Yeah. Uh, uh, what have you got to do today? Who's picking up the kids? Are you cooking tonight? Are we going out? You, you know, I, that is not communication. Uh, you know, kind of, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intentional, on purpose communication. And when I say that, what I mean is that you put away, you put away anything that would want you to multitask. So the TV goes off, the cell phones go in the timeout drawer, and you practice giving each other your full and complete attention. Now, when my wife and I got married, there were no cell phones and there was no personal computers or any of that. And I would get my news in the morning. I'd get up early, read my Bible and pray. And then I'd get the newspaper and I'd sit at the table and drink my coffee and maybe have something to eat. But, but my, and my wife would sit there. And I remember one morning, we had not been married very long, not very long at all. And I'm sitting there and I'm drinking my coffee, reading the paper. And my wife is talking to me and she's getting... She's not getting the best of me, okay? Uh, let me just say it like that. She's getting, she's getting grunts and uh-huh, uh yeah, uh-huh, sure. I, every once in a while, a word that was understandable, yes, no, some things like that. And then as I'm, as I'm holding my paper, I see these four fingers come over the top of the newspaper. And it just slowly comes down. And I see that little blonde head. And then I see those piercing blue eyes. And then I see this beautiful face. And my wife says to me, when we talk, could you just look me in the eye? And I said, oh, absolutely, sweetheart. Absolutely. Let me tell you something about talking. Talking is a skill that we all need to develop. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's if you don't do it, it will atrophy and it gets harder and harder to talk about things, important things, things you need to talk about. And as a married couple, you can start off, you can start off with this. You can start off by saying, how are you? How are you? Really? Are you okay? How are you? And as you progress, hopefully you'll get to a place where you're brave enough to say, how am I? How am I? How am I doing? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better dad? How can I be a better man of God? Because I need your help. I need for you to tell me. This, you know, giving someone your full and complete, listen to me, especially guys, listen to me. Giving someone, your spouse, your full and complete attention is an act of love. It is an act of love. So there's some important things that you need to understand about communication and, and talking. And number one is this. You need to be careful about your tone. Tone is very, very important because you can say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And you can say that in a way that sounds loving and sweet and kind. And you can say that in a way that does not sound loving or sweet or kind. I'll just be transparent with you here for a minute. Six years ago... Uh, it was in September, if I remember correctly, six years ago, my wife and I were in Colorado Springs and we were visiting. I'm so happy to have uh, my daughter and son-in-law and, and our grandsons here with us today. They surprised me and came in. But we were in Colorado Springs where they were living. It was a Sunday and we'd gone to church and, and all the kids were in the car with us. We had five of our grandchildren in the car with us. And so we'd gone to church, heard great, you know, great time of worship, great message, and uh, and we're, we're driving, at, you know, we came out of the church and we go about two blocks and there's this huge, huge intersection. And when I say huge, I mean that the turn lanes were about three lanes, okay? The turn lanes, like three lanes turning, you know, a bunch of lanes going straight and some more turn lanes going the other way. And I was trying to remember 
where we turned to get to their house. And we drive up to this intersection and I'm looking for a street sign because I know the name of the street. Now I'm looking for it. And in the back, I've got five of my grandkids and they're happy and they're excited and everybody's talking at the same time and they're all trying to talk over one another. So I got all this going on back here behind me and I'm like, where's the sign? Where's the sign? Where's the sign? And God in his grace and mercy gave me an extra set of eyeballs. And she says, turn right here. This is it. Turn right here. And I'm like, but I don't see the sign. I don't see the sign. I don't see the sign. I don't know. And there's people behind me and they're, you know, they're impatient and I'm, I need to make a decision. Do I go straight? Do I turn? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then I did it. I, I got to confess to you. I said, I said a word. Oh my goodness. I wasn't even going to share it with you, but I felt like the Lord said, you go ahead and tell him, even though it's church. You just go ahead and tell them so they'll know. And so if you'll just, if you'll just, uh, when I say mute, just mute the mic. Okay. You ready? Okay. So they're all talking. I'm stressed. I'm trying to feel where's the sign. My sweet wife is saying, this is it. Turn right here. This is it. This is our intersection. And I'm just, I'm stressed. So mute. Oh, no. And I said it pretty much like that. Immediate silence. Everybody in the back. Our youngest grandson was five at the time, and I hear him say, what just happened? So we're talking about tone, right? We're talking about tone. I mean, all right is a word that we all use all the time. But that tone, that was a completely inappropriate tone. And so I explained to my grandchildren how Poppy had just really, really messed up that I had not used the right tone. I just, I apologized to them. I apologized to my wife. And then when we got to the house, I had to ask her forgiveness again because she did not deserve that. Now, that's, that's not standard for me. But that was just one of those times. And I just use that as an example because we think, you know, if I, if I just put the words out there, no, tone is important. And men, when you speak to your wife, you should never talk down to her, but you should speak to her as an equal and everything you sh- say should be said in a tone of love and protection. And ladies, when you speak to your husband, your tone needs to be respect and honor. And everything that you say and the way you say it without a hand on your hip or waggling your head or rolling your eyeballs, it is said in a tone of love and respect. Okay. So, so time, time, you need to set aside some time. You need to set aside 20, 30 minutes a day and hopefully it'll it'll get longer. It can be in the morning with coffee or at night with popcorn, or you can just hold hands and walk around the block and talk, but you need to talk and you need to talk about everything. You need to talk about your plans, your desires, your finances, your goals, your goals for your kids. Talk about your sex life. Talk about everything. Talk about everything. And you will find that if you include God in that conversation, that more times than not, you will, it will remove you from making emotional decisions because something just jumped up and caught you by surprise and you guys didn't know what to do. So you just got in your frustration. You just made a decision. But if you will talk on a regular basis, God will come and involve himself in your conversation. And you will find that more often than not, you will have talked about things before they happen. And when they pop up, you go, oh, we just talked about that. Well, here's how we're going to handle this. And you are able to, to lay out a solution or a plan, not based on your emotions about it, but based on God's word. So this is very, very important. Trust is very, very important that I trust you and that you trust me because the fact of the matter is there are some people here who know me and know me, know me well, have known me for almost 50 years. And I I count them to be among my, my closest friends. And most of them would say, Pastor Paul, he's a pretty good guy. 
He's a pretty good guy. He's, you know, he's, he's probably a pretty good husband. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what anybody in here thinks about me and in relation to what kind of a husband I am, the only one that really matters is that lady right there. What does she think? And so I've got to, I've got to trust. I've got to trust her. I, see, what, what a lot of people don't realize is the seriousness of marriage. I'm just, oh, Jesus, help me. There's no way I can. The seriousness of marriage is such that when you say I do and you sign that marriage license, you literally become the legal next of kin. You're still trying to figure what that means is if you end up on a respirator and the doctor says, should we unplug them or give them a few more days? They're not going to ask your mama. They're going to ask your spouse. Hopefully you've been real good to them. <laughs> real good. So there's, there's this, tr- I, need to tr- I need to trust you and you need to trust me and, and I need to trust that you're, you're going to do what's best for me and I'm going to do what's best for you. And so truth is super important because that is the foundation. That is absolutely the foundation. I, you know, I was, I was sharing with, with uh, uh, our friend uh, Glenn Longlinay last week and, and I just... All of a sudden, it just hit me. You know, why, why is it that when we think of iron, sharpening iron, that we always think of two men getting together? Now, I understand why, because in some of the older translations, it talks, it uses that word, you know, men. But in the newer translations, it's not gender specific. And I'll tell you what, the person who has sharpened me more than anybody else is the lady over there who has iron in her soul. And she has sharpened me. She has helped to put a fine edge on me. And I'm so thankful for that. And that's part of what marriage is. That's part of how, how marriage should, should be. So let me, let me just touch on a couple other things here, and then I'm, I need to wrap this up. Uh, your, your, your marriage relationship, if it's going to be a priority, if it's going to be a priority, it needs to be protected. It does. It needs to be protected from your children. Your kids want 100% of you 100% of the time. And if you have little children, one of the best things you can do for your marriage is to teach your kids that there's something in this house called bedtime. And it needs to be about two hours before mom and daddy get in bed to go to sleep. Parents need some alone time. They need some time to talk. They need some time to just be together. Your marriage is more important. And there are times when your marriage needs to be protected from children that want to just suck all the life out of you. And this is a job for moms and dads. There, there needs to be a bedtime. And, and your, your kids need to know that mom and dad need to have some time together. Your children, uh, your children need to know that your Marriage needs to be protected. I don't know. How can I say this from your parents? Your marriage needs to be protected. I mean, your parents were great and they took good care of you. But when you and your spouse got married, you did not get married to bring two big families together. When you got married, you created a third separate family, an independent family. And thank God for our extended family. Thank God for we honor them and we bless them and we want them in our lives. But they don't run our marriage. Okay? They don't run our marriage. We don't make all our decisions, you know, and, and uh, check with mom and daddy to be sure it's okay before we, before we plan out our lives. So, I don't know. I should maybe just end here. You've stopped amen in me. So, I, I don't know. Uh, here's the second law. It's the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast. The, some of the older translations say he should cleave to her. And that's not like a meat cleaver chopping something up. No, it means to be glued together, to be welded together, to be bound together. Holding fast is not one and done. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of holding fast. 
It's not just, well, you know, I told you I loved you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. It's not that attitude. It is a constant, constant holding. I, I love in the marriage vows. You probably never thought of it, but I've, I've gone through this so many times in the marriages I do. There comes a place in the vows where I, I will mention the man's name, and I'll just use my friend Glenn. Glenn, do you, do you willingly take this woman to Liz to become your wedded wife and Liz do you willingly take this man Glenn to become your husband and that word become is so important it's so important because you you weren't and now you are but you're going to continue to be okay it's like getting a driver's license like yesterday you you didn't have a license you were not a legal driver today you got your license you're you're legal you can drive anywhere, but it doesn't mean that you're the best driver for rush hour traffic in Houston or the best driver if you're driving through a blizzard in Minnesota or, or behind a cane truck on a muddy day. Um, you know, we grow. We're a legal driver and we're, we're legal to drive, but we learn by experience and we grow in our experience and we become better and better to understand what the threats are, what, the, what, what things we need to watch out for as a driver. So if we're going to meet each other's needs, we need to know what those needs are. And, and basically this law of pursuit is this. It's, 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 each person in the marriage looking at their spouse and seeing what their needs are and meeting their needs before they ever even ask. That's what it is. It's seeing the needs, recognizing them, and meeting those needs before they ever even ask. So, so here, here are, let me just quickly mention this. Here are the four basic needs of women. The four basic needs of women. Number one is security. She needs to feel safe. She needs to feel safe physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You're not ever going to mistreat her physically. You're not ever going to blow up on her emotionally. You're not going to always be playing the God card, and I know the Bible better than you, and me and Jesus, you know, I know Jesus better than you. You don't, you know, you make her feel safe. She needs security. She needs that. The second thing is this. She needs open and honest communication. Open and honest communication. I'll never forget uh, one time uh, this was driven home to me how important it was. There was a, it's not anybody that anybody in here knows, but I was counseling with a couple and the guy was just a real stinker. And the lady for to have stayed with him as long as she had, had to be half saint, at least half saint. And, and so she is talking to him and she, she comes out with something that sounds like this. I can forgive you for the way you speak to me. I can forgive you that, that you have drunk so much that you've become an alcoholic. I can forgive you that you wrecked our car and then you wrecked the truck and then you lost your job and we've got bills. I don't know how we're going to pay them. I can even forgive you for the time you cheated on me. But I will never, ever forgive you again if you lie to me. I will rip your head off and spit in the hole and walk away. And you know, that just made me realize how important, what a high value that is. And it's because it is the bedrock, it's the foundation of, of human, all of our relationships. That's why God says that what he desires from us is honesty in the inward parts. He desires honesty from our heart. We're not fooling God and we're not fooling our spouse. And it is so important. She needs. This is a need of woman. She needs open and honest communication. In order for you to understand this, men, men need physical intimacy. Ladies need relational intimacy. And if all of the men could just pause for a minute and think how you would feel if your wife said, they ain't going to be, we ain't getting frisky. Not today, not tomorrow, not this week. Check back with me around Thanksgiving. We'll see how things are looking. You know how that would make you feel. And I just want to tell you that when you don't talk, when you don't open up to your wife, that's how you make her feel. When you shut up, she needs to be in your heart, your feelings, your emotions. She's, she's trying to help you. She's hardwired for that. How can she if she doesn't know what's going on in your heart? The only way that can happen is if you talk. And here's the problem. Women have more words than men. Some men just can't talk. 
There are some, ladies, let me just tell you, if you ask your husband, sweetheart, what are you thinking about right now? And he says, nothing. He's not lying. He's not, he's not lying. Men do it all the time. I don't think ladies know how to do it, but men do it all the time. Nothing. I got nothing. There's nothing going on here. Nothing. And so because women seem to have so many words and men seem to not have as many words, gentlemen, if you really love your wife and she's wanting to talk and you're like, baby, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to, here's what you can do. You can, you can let her prime the pump. You can say, sweetheart, I want to talk. And I just don't have many words, but here's what, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll give you permission right now. You can ask me anything you want to ask me. And I will do my best not to give you a one-word answer. And you can ask follow-up questions. And if you'll do that just to kind of prime the pump, we can get some talking going on here. And this up, by the way, that's what happens in small groups. That's what happens in small groups. People get to talk and people get to, you're in a safe place where you can open up and there's trust and there's truth and, and, and you can glean, you can learn things that are so super important. So women need soft, non-sexual affection. I know, my reaction was just like yours, guys. Soft, non- what that means is that a back rub starts and ends with a back rub. It just doesn't go any place further than that. It's just just a background. She needs that. She also needs leadership. Here's number four. She needs leadership. A man who is the loving initiator of the marriage and the family while still treating her as an equal. He's the initiator. He's the first one. That means that, that he, he says there will never be a time in our marriage where we wake up on Sunday morning, look at each other and say, what do you want to do today? There'll never be a time because we're believers. We're Christians. We're going to church on Sunday. That's what Sunday's for. Sunday's where we start off the week, the first day of the week, given the first part of, of the first day of the week in the presence of God. That's what we're going to do. And being the initiator means that, that he's the one who says, you know, sweetheart, we need God's blessing in every area of our life. And, and we need to be tithing. We need to, be, we need to honor God in that way. It means that he is the first one to take his wife's hand and say, sweetheart, we need to pray about this situation or that situation or with the kids or with whatever it is. We need to pray about this. We've both looked at it. We've talked about it. We need some divine intervention. We need God to come and show himself strong in our lives uh, at, at this point in time. And so, so we're, we're coming right now to pray together. Here are the four needs of men, the four basic needs of men. Number one, respect and honor. Respect and honor. Do you know that God commands men to love their wives? He commands them. Husbands, love your wives. There's no place in the Bible where God says, women, love your husbands. It's not there. He doesn't say that. What he does say in the last verse of Ephesians chapter 5 is that women should respect their husbands. They should respect. And a lot of women will say, well, I'll respect him when he starts acting respectable. That's not how it works. He is called to love you Act, to act and speak in a loving way all the days of his life, whether you're having a good day, a bad day, or an in-between day, and you are called to respect him, to treat him with respect and honor on his good days, his bad days, and his in-between days. That's what we, that's what, that's what we said when we made our vows to God and to each other. That's what we said. And we do not abuse one another. We do not tear each other apart. As a matter of fact, is anybody in here old enough to remember Aretha Franklin's hit song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T? How many of you knew that Aretha Franklin didn't write that song? Otis Redding wrote that song. A man. And he was writing from his heart and from his experience. So, so a, lot of, a lot of ladies would say, well, you know, when he acts respectable, then, then I'll, you know, I'll treat him with respect. You need to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3. You really do. And, and I'm just going to leave you with that reference. And I'll say this, that Peter was speaking to godly women, to Christian women. And he's using this, this example. He says, this is what pleased God. It wasn't Sarah's, you know, the way she fixed her hair, the way she dressed. It was her meek and quiet spirit. It was the way she referred to her husband. Some translations will say she called him my master. Some will say she called him my Lord. So ladies, I thought it'd be good if we just practiced right now for a minute. You just look your husband in the eye. No, actually, 
actually, I personally like the message translation. It just kind of brings it up to, it fits in our culture. She called him my dear husband. And let me just, let me just remind you, she could have ripped the guts out of him with her words. She could have said, you're a liar. You allowed me to get carried off into a harem, not once, but twice. And, and I don't care that, that, you know, nothing happened. Uh, I did not feel safe. I did not feel protected. I did not feel loved. And you're encouraging me instead of being honest and truthful. You're encouraging me to join you in a lie that put me in a place like that. She could have ripped him to shreds, but she didn't. She called him my dear husband. She referred to him with respect. I don't think we'll know the impact of that until we get to heaven. How she built him up and prepared him to enter into the things that God had prepared for him. Here here are the things that men need. Number one, the four basic needs, respect and honor. Number two, sex. He needs to have his sexual needs met in a regular and energetic way. Number three is friendship with his wife, having his wife as a best friend, doing enjoyable things with her on a regular basis, and domestic support, having a wife who's domestically centered and focused on the home. Well, you know, but I work. Well, then be the Proverbs 31 woman and hire a maid, you know, and, and keep the hot on. There's, there's all kinds of ways to do this for a married couple to work these things out, but the home cannot be neglected. The home is important enough that somebody needs to make it a full-time job. Somebody, somebody. And so, so these, these are the, these are the, the things that are super, super important. Hollywood has told us a lie that it's all about chemistry. And if we'll just, you know, grab hold of it, you know, that's what brought us together is chemistry. And it's, we're going to exist on chemistry. And if you ever get to a place where you have to work at marriage and the chemistry has gone, then that's just proof that you're married to the wrong person because chemistry should be there from the very beginning until the very end of your life. And it should never go away. And I'm telling you right now, that is a lie perpetrated by the movies and the videos that come out of Hollywood. If you want to know what's really going on, look at the vital statistics for 90210 and find out that the highest divorce rate is in that Hollywood area. That's reality, that they don't know how to make marriage work, that they present a lie and they tell us that it's all about chemistry. Well, can I just... Can I just remind you that the first time that you and your spouse met for a date, it was not just chemistry. There was a lot of work went into that. You stood in front of a mirror for how long? <laughs> Every hair had to be just right. Your clothes had to be clean and not smell like you worked in them for three weeks. They had to be ironed or look presentable. You, you, you were careful about how you dressed. If you were a guy, you washed your car, you probably vacuumed out the inside, you know, clean things up. You opened doors, you pulled out the chair. That, that's all work. And that's the work that needs to continue along with other things as seasons of life change. But that's part of the work that needs to continue. It needs to, to, to go on and on and on. So uh, I just, uh, I, I need to bring this to a close and so I want to, I want to do this. Um, I want to do this by telling you that in Revelation chapter two, Jesus is speaking to some churches, and and he speaks to the church in Ephesus, and he says, you know, I, I see all the things that that are going on, but there's one thing I have against you: you've left your first love. You have left your first love, and. And in order to get your first love back, here's what you need to do. You need to remember what it was like when you had your first love. You need to repent. Repent. We all understand repent is not just confession. It's, it's saying, I'm not just saying I'm sorry, but it's saying I'm sorry enough. I'm never going to do that again. So repentance means I'm going this way and I have an epiphany and I realize this way is the wrong way. This is not the way I should be going. I'm going to repent. So I'm going to turn around and go the other direction. I'm going to come this. And he says, repent. And then he says, do the first things. Do the things you did at first. Now, notice he doesn't say anything to them about trying to get the feelings back. 
He just tells the church what to do. What's amazing about this is that this is not only how to revive and renew a church. This is a blueprint for how to revive and renew a marriage. This is, this, it's not, you know, try all you want to get the feelings to come back. But I'm just telling you that this is a plan that'll work. Remember what it was like when you first met. Remember what it was like when you first fell in love. Repent of the things that you're doing that are keeping those things from happening. All the things that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on saying, you've neglected this, you've stopped doing that. Repent of those things and start to do the things you did at the beginning. And if you will do the things you did at the beginning, if you'll do the right things, the feelings will follow. And those feelings can be restored and can be renewed. I'd like to, as as I bring this to a close, I'd like to pray for every marriage that is represented in this room. And if you're here with your spouse, I'd like for you to stand. If your spouse is not here, would you stand anyway and allow me just the privilege of praying for, for every marriage that is represented in this room. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your kindness. And Lord, I I pray for every marriage represented in this room. I pray that you would touch every man. God, I pray that every man in this room would be the man of God that you've called him to be. I pray that he would become the husband that his wife needs and the father that his children need. I pray that he would love his family and especially his wife sacrificially, just like Christ loves the church. I pray for... For every woman here, Lord, I I pray that every woman would be the woman of God that you've called her to be, that she would become the wife that her husband needs and the mother that her children need. I pray, Heavenly Father, that for every woman that is here, that Jesus Christ would always be the most important man in her life. I thank you, God, for healing hurts and pains and wounds, and I thank you for making marriages strong and powerful, a picture of Christ loving the church. I pray that every marriage represented here today would be a marriage that other people would look at and say, that's the kind of marriage I want. That's the kind of marriage. That's the kind of family. That's the kind of home I want. I pray that you would do a miracle in every marriage, whether they're great and not having any difficulties right now, whether they're going through, working through some, some difficult seasons or whether their marriage... God, there might even be some, their, their marriage is circling the drain right now. And they just feel like it's, it's all over. God, I, I know that you are the, the one who has resurrection life and you've given that to us. I pray that every marriage would receive resurrection life and power here today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you would remain standing, I'd like to ask everyone else who's seated, would you stand with us right now? Everyone in the room standing together. And can I just say this to you, that there is a huge difference between being godly and being religious. And to be a godly husband and to be a godly wife starts with having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens when we pray and when we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, I, I just want to tell you, I think it is, it is something that, that every single person Every single person needs to embrace a relationship with the Lord Jesus. It starts off with us just being honest with God. Just being honest about who we are and where we are and being able to say to God, God, I've said some things I shouldn't have said. I've done some things I shouldn't have done. I've gone some places I shouldn't have gone. And Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. The second thing is be that we believe. That we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that he can do what he said he can do. That he lived a sinless life. That he died on the cross in my place. And that he rose again on the third day. And C is the third thing. And it stands for confess. And that just means that I say out loud with my mouth. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to surrender to his lordship over my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Paul, I want to be a part of God's family. And I want to be, I want my family to be a reflection of God's grace in my life. I I want to join you in this prayer. I want to know what it is to be born again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand very quickly? I just want to see who I'm praying for. I see a hand here. I see a hand there. 
Anyone else? Just very quickly lift it. I see your hand right here. Anyone else? Anyone else? Here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in prayer. And I want to ask everyone to please pray out loud with us as we come into the presence of God right now. Come on, let's all pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. You died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it cost me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.